0: Everybody and welcome to Lights Camera Exploitation, your guide to exploited cinema. This is the Pod Boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabanger from Nine under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, motherfuckers. And the second man on the grassy you knoll, Mr. Slick Nick. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> today we have a doozy of an episode but first it's time for your slice
1: of life brody how goes it <laughs> oh like i say every week mr bowser it all fucking goes well here and there you know i'm fucking at work i'm on set never fucking ends mate never ends you know nah i went to the gym last night i think i fucked my shoulder so <laughs> if you hear me grunting throughout <sighs> the episode you'll know it's that oh and i got it like a bit of a slight fucking earache as i was telling you before the show that's a nice thing to wake up to on a fucking day morning other than that uh watch this fantastic film it's a film that uh i really enjoy um hold close to my heart um didn't buy any fucking Blu-rays this week. I nearly bought, uh, I think it's Red Scorpion with Dolph Lundgren in it. I, I pulled through. I saved fifteen dollars, and yeah, but who knows? Tomorrow could be a different story. So could buy that shit. But uh, anyway, other than that, uh, to stop rambling on a bit, uh, that's all. That's all to go with me this week. Is uh, what about you, Slick Nick? So, uh,
2: same as you to some degree. Mostly just working. Uh, I had yesterday off, luckily for the holiday, uh, so didn't have to do much on that. Um, not. I mean, this is probably. Probably the only movie i've watched this week um i've been binging the shit out of oz uh what i'm trying to do is watch all of the like main hbo shows in order of release so i'm doing this then sopranos wire boardwalk game of thrones uh so that's like my plan for yeah just everything i want to watch um but really that's uh, that's about it uh, at least on my end uh, i'm watching some movies and uh some shows with some friends um yeah what about you tj what you doing well i got my twin peaks tape recorder into Today, a screen match
0: to the pilot episode, and I quickly hurried up and recorded Dale Cooper audio onto it, and it just it's it's made my day truly special. I also got my Scream Factory sale order in today. Uh, day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Lake Placid, and Road Games. And to my surprise, Road Games came with one of those tasty slip covers. Mm. But yes, I didn't even know it would come with a slip cover. Whenever I uh, ordered it at first, I didn't. I thought, what's the chance of that? Uh, it's kind of first come, first serve with those. But yeah, I uh, talked to some folks today about starting some new podcasts on the network and about maybe redoing some of the existing ones kind of breathing new life into them starting them back up again so just kind of working on things got a new story idea this week started uh, outlining that Talked to brody about that so maybe there's new stuff on the horizon who the fuck knows but more importantly oh. what the fuck
2: was that that <laughs> 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 I don't think that came through on our end the way it was intended. (laughs) Uh,
1: Good shit.
0: But what I am excited for is to talk about this week's film. And that film is Once Were Warriors from 1994.
1: A thousand years ago, the Maoris discovered New Zealand.
0: Our people once were warriors. They were people with pride. People with spirit.
1: Today, they are strangers in that land. You too. Do you think we'll ever get out of here too? To me. Frightened. like your pretty boy face. Angry.
0: <laughs> Lost. Been keeping bad company. Was that before or after you picked them up?
1: Once were warriors. The story of one woman's fight for freedom.
2: You're a hard lady, this
1: you're a hard man, Jakey. Aren't they beautiful when they're like that? You're just drunk that, People show their true feelings when they're drunk. I got a temper on me, but who hasn't? One family's fight for survival. I'll leave that kid alone. That. You know, that's your problem. You spoiled a lot of them. don't care about any of us. Tell Jakey you love her. This is trouble, Jake. I do. In the spirit of the past,
0: you think your fist is your weapon?
1: <laughs> there is power.
0: When I have taught you. Your mind will be.
1: Open. Pride. No one more of these drunken parties or your mates coming around. Possibility. Yeah. about the thing, eh? You're still a slave, Jake. To your fist. To the drink. I'm a lovable chip. To yourself. Once were warriors going to hurt my babies anymore. A Woman's Journey Home.
0: from director Lee Tamori who did The Edge in 1997 Die Another Day in 2002 Triple X State of the Union in 2005 and Next in 2007 writers Rewa Brown who did Flight of the Albatross in 1995 The Le Legend of Johnny Lingo in 2003 and ringi Bay in 2012 a TV movie cinematographer Stuart Dryberg who did The Piano in 1993 Aeon Flux in 2005 The Painted Veil in 2006 and The Great Wall in 2016 special effects Richard Taylor who worked on The Lord of the Rings the fellowship of the ring in 2001 king kong in 2005 and krampus in 2015 production design michael kane and not the one you're thinking of who worked on desperate remedies in 1992 broken english in 1996 and broken lines in 2008 producers robin Shoals. editor michael horton who worked on goodbye pork
2: pie in 1980 lord of the rings the two towers in 2002 and the patriarch in 2016 do we have a budget boys i was not able to find one i have the box office and everything but i was not able to get a budget okay i mean, might be able to find a budget we we'll include that information later if we can find it <laughs>
0: starring rena owen as beth hecky who played in savage play in 1995 star wars episode 3 revenge of the sith in 2005 the crow wicked prayer in 2005 and the last witch hunter in 2015 tamara morrison as jake hecky who starred in speed 2 cruise control 1997 the sequel to the scariest film ever made according to brody star wars episode 2 attack of the clones in 2002 aquaman in 2018 and the mandalorian
1: in 2020 Not ain't gonna fucking say in i i <laughs> <when they're> talking <laughs> so much. Dennis Hopper's character was the fucking scary (laughs) not the fucking
0: (laughs) Mama Nagaro Kerbel as Grace Hecky who starred in Shortland Streets 1992 TV series Staunch in 2000 a TV movie and Matuku in 2002 a TV series Julian Aranga as Nig Hecky who starred in The Matrix in 1999 Fracture 2004 and The Ferryman in 2007 Tongaroa Emil as Boogie Hecky who starred in Hercules The Legendary Journeys in 1995 a TV series series. Whale Rider in 2002, Aftershock in 2008, a TV movie. Rachel Morris Jr. as Polly Heckey, Joseph Kairu as Huata Heke, who starred in What Becomes of the Broken Hearted in 1999, which is the sequel to this movie. And lastly, Cliff Curtis as Bully, who you may know from Deep Rising in 1998, 10,000 BC in 2008, or Doctor Sleep in 2019. Slickless Nicholas, Taketh the if.
2: Jake and Beth Heckey are a poor working class couple, a Maori background in contemporary urban Auckland, New Zealand. Jake, obviously loves his family, but is subject to murderous rages when he gets drunk, when he beats his wife and abuses his kids. Oldest son Nig has joined a street gang. Daughter Grace retreats into her poetry journal and hangs out with a drug-addled boy who lives in an abandoned car. And younger son, Boogie, has gotten in trouble with the law and is in juvenile detention. But the center of the story is Beth, who has a temper herself but must learn to stop blaming herself for the horrific domestic violence and do something about it.
0: Fucking A. Awards! So these include but are not limited to the Amon's International Film Festival 1994 Audience Award Lee Tamahori Winner Winner Chicken Dinner Australian Film Institute in 1995 Best Foreign Film Award Robin Shoals Winner Winner Chicken Dinner The Chicago Film Critics Association Awards in 1996 Best Actress Rena Owens Nominee Most Promising Actor Tamara Morrison Nominee Most Promising Actress Rena Owen Nominee The New Zealand Film and TV Awards in 1994 It cleaned house. It took home a total of nine awards. Including Best Film, Fan Sporta in 1994, the Critics Award, special mention to Morris Morrison, winner, winner, Chicken Dinner, Best Actress, Rena Owen, winner, winner, Chicken Dinner, and Best Film, Lee Tamahori, nominee. Lastly, Santa Barbara International Film Festival in 1995, the Bruce C. Coren Award, Lee Tamahori, winner, winner, Chicken Dinner. Boys, it's that time again. Let's get physical. <laughs> So, we have a disc from Film Movement that dropped September 6, 2016, and it runs 103 minutes and it's rated R. And it features a 1080p HD video, and it does not have the original aspect ratio for whatever fucking reason, but it does have DTS HD Master Audio 5.1 and Dolby Digital, features English subtitles, behind the scenes feature at New Essay by Peter Calder, and it is a region free 2K Blu ray and currently on Amazon for $27.49. And I believe that there is also uh, UK offerings for this film from another distributor.
1: Second sight films.
0: There you
2: go.
1: Mm.
0: Boys, what'd you discover about this awesome film?
2: So speaking on the brutality and power of the acting in the film, uh, critic Roger Ebert uh, said in his review, Once Were Warriors has been praised as an attack on domestic violence and abuse. So it is, but I am not sure anyone needs to see this film to discover that such brutality is bad. We know that. I value it for two other reasons its perception in showing the way alcohol triggers sudden personality shifts, and its power in presenting two great performances by Morrison and Owen. You don't often see acting like this in the movies. They bring the Academy Awards into perspective.
1: So I uh, happened to search high and low for this uh, in-conversation video on YouTube with Lee to Tamahori and Robin Skulls it's an interview that you can see on YouTube Uh, and director Lee Tamahori talks about Once for Warriors Um, he states Stu Driver came up to me with the novel Once for Warriors and said this is fucking dynamite you should make this into a movie I read it and said you're out of your mind this is a nightmare no one would ever go and see this thing that was a year or so before Robin Skulls came along and said look I've got the rights to this book I said look I'll tell you what I told Stu it's a nightmare it can't be made and and eventually, because of my bleating about the shape of the New Zealand uh, film industry, kind of talked myself into it. Basically, step up and go in and do it, basically, in the end.
2: <clears throat> During the casting of the film, actor Cliff Curtis actually initially refused the role of Uncle Bully, as he was so repulsed by the character, yet relented and took the role after convincing from his agent and his aunt. A- However, afterwards, Curtis claims to be haunted by the role, as he's been repeatedly teased for playing the character ever since.
1: In an interview with Brittany Coe over its Stuff... In 2009, Lee Tamahori talks about the graphic scenes being filmed. When crew members asked if he was sure he wanted the confronting scenes to be quiet and so graphic, Tamahori replied, Of course, we can't go far enough because it's going to fail big time. <laughs> At times, we even tried to censor himself during the editing process. Um, he he the, the, the cut, the rape, the grace of Uncle Bully, it, just, it was all a big shambles pretty much. So I said, I don't think I can show this to the audience. It's quite progressive and in the film it won't stop and you get quite uncomfortable watching it. But during a lunch break, the editor convinced him to reconsider, which he basically also said, the audience needs to see it. They need to know. It's not about us saying to hell with the audience and dragging their noses through it. It's about putting them in a situation and forcing them to watch.
2: So one thing I found during filming, uh, the building used actually for all the interior and exterior shots of the courthouse whenever Boogie's going in for his uh, getting taken off to juvenile detention were actually shot at the main New Zealand distribution office for Apple Computer, uh, which they filmed, I guess it's like the main warehouse for it as well. Uh, Although the building has apparently since been remodeled uh, and is apparently completely unrecognizable to the scenes in the movie, save for they have saved a portion of wall tiles apparently that are now in a cupboard under the staircase in the lobby i guess they're just really sentimental for being in the movie
0: <laughs> What the fuck? talk about preservation
1: right <laughs> oh. oh yeah yeah no we're good um, tomorrow morrison talks about the story itself it is a story that everybody can relate to and again must go back to the power of emotion in the film And I suppose it's true to say that it could be a story of Chinese, Scottish, Irish families within the same predicament of family at the bottom end of socioeconomic scale. Universally, can't be too much different from anywhere else in the world. I think we have broken those barriers and again, the word powerful comes to mind. It is a story of a woman's journey as we follow her emotionally and how she survives.
2: So while the film does remain uh, truthful to its source material, some of the main differences I was able to find between it and Alan Duff's original novel uh, include that the novel had a further dive into the lack of education of the Hecci family. Uh, Whereas in the film, Grace is portrayed as being more into reading and poetry and writing than the others, but it's not really elaborated on so much as it's just her getting away from her father. In the book, she's one of the only Maori that Beth is even familiar with that actually owns any Western books at all. Uh, In addition to this, in the novel, Nig's life with the street gang is also elaborated on. Showing more in-depth his use of the gang as sort of a surrogate family to him while he's distancing himself from Jake and their ultimate failure to fulfill that role with his girlfriend being too kind of emotionally beaten down to properly be of any support to him and the other members too brutal for him to even respect. So they end up kind of mirroring his dad as well.
1: Yeah, I kind of wish that had been in the film.
2: I, I I would have thought that there'd probably be like some deleted scenes or something of of Nig with the street gang uh, or at least just more than the jumping to get him in and then the one scene where they
1: stop by (laughs) yeah pretty much so we have uh morrison talking about his character jake the muss because the way the book was written it dealt with a lot of subtext and for example he would be driving down the road and you would hear of what was written in the book pretty much his thoughts and feelings about things so ideally for an actor this is a wonderful thing for an actor because all of the subtext is there anyway he was a hard man as well which I've never had the opportunity to play. A real tough hard-hitting guy. He's the main where he liked to be at the pub and that's where he liked to be with his mates, drinking and that's where he felt most comfortable. And also the other side was that he was a fighter. He loved fighting. Another thing that comes to my mind that I remember was that I like to break a character down into one sentence and I remember just saying to myself things like, well, he would hit first and talk later. But now that I think about it, he was a little bit of a listener at times. And when he was sober I suppose and my trouble was working it through with the director tending to come On too much with this tough guy act right from the get go. But the director told me that we actually have to create a character that the audience would like as well.
2: So, um, according to an article from Variety at the time, uh, when Once Were Warriors premiered in his home country of New Zealand, though it only opened in four theaters, it managed to gross $114,000 New Zealand in that time, which actually broke pretty much all the house records. Uh, And eventually, the film would go on to become extremely successful on top. Of being critically acclaimed, grossing over 6.7 million dollars New Zealand and surpassing Jurassic Park, making it the highest grossing film ever in New Zealand.
1: So we have Tamora Morrison talking about the violence. Because of the violence in the film, it just seems so funny how the opposite effect can happen in society, especially back in our homeland of New Zealand. It was brought out the fact it was brought out the fact people have been in this situation before and this would be their opportunity to open up. Just because we explained in Roll up fast. In a vicious way.
2: So, while pitching the film to potential financial backers, which actually include the New Zealand Film Commission themselves, uh, the project struggled to get off the ground uh, as it was believed that the story simply following Jake would be just absolutely too undesirable for audiences to get behind. Uh, eventually, when the project got to screenwriter Ruia Brown, uh, who cameos in the film, actually, uh, she's singing the morning song at Grace's funeral, um, she rewrote a large part of Duff's original script. To to elevate Beth and the kids' character's importance to equal Jake's. After this, director Lee Tamori believed that the film would be as a success stating you couldn't have it be a story about a mindlessly violent thug i was more fascinated by a story of a mother who makes efforts to rise above her circumstances and create a life for her
1: children we have tamora morrison talking about the fight scenes so some of those fight scenes in that film will be some of the best that i've ever seen especially with my age in the film industry seeing fights and arguments developing in other films to which they seem to go on and on forever however I think that what we did was real raw to the point, vicious and laced over with scenes next to lovable singing harmonious, loving scenes, they become more violent.
2: So in the documentary uh, made about the creation of the film and its cast and crew, Once Were Warriors, Where Are They Now?, Uh, actor Rena Owen speaks about the physical and emotional toll inflicted on her and the other actors in the film due to the severity of the subject matter and just how hard they went into it, Uh, specifically mentioning the final fight that she has with Jake before leaving the house for the last time. Uh, Having been exhausted and drained after an entire day before of filming Violent scenes, uh, followed by starting the next day at four thirty in the morning. Um, Owen actually broke down crying after Tamaori asked her to reshoot the scene, explaining, "When you see that scene, that anger, all of that is pure, raw, very real emotion."
0: Fucking a. So we
1: have, so we have Rena Owen talking about her character Beth. Beth was a gift of a role. She was sort of a role that a million actresses around the world would absolutely kill for because you just do not get this female dramatic lead roles like beth every day she was a complete character complex juicy and as an actress i was able to sort of show a lot of my range to which i had to go through a lot of emotions definitely a lot of highs and lows.
2: So, Owen goes on to describe Beth's strongest trait. Uh, On a personal level, Beth represented a voice that past generations of women were never allowed to have, and that has certainly happened as a result of this film being shown all around the world, where I've had women and also men who have come up to me and they cry on my shoulders, or they just want to hug me or compliment me, because basically it's a universal story, and everyone can relate to Beth in their own country. So, she's touched a very deep nerve in many people around the world, as well as in the awards that it picked up, particularly the Media Peace Awards and the award it was given in Montreal for giving hope to victims.
1: We also have Reno and talking about the violence in the film. Yes, it is a violent film. However, it is not sensual sensationalized violence the violence comes with a purpose and the intention of the violence in the movie is to say that violence on any level is an unacceptable presence and in order to repel people against violence you have to often show it in a graphic form and it does work
0: fucking a so boys let's talk about it (laughs) Okay, so favorite performance
2: of the film. Beth, take it home, yeah. honey. Yeah. I I mean absolutely. Um I would say props to Tamara Morrison for Oh yeah, Boba Fett's crazy as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, his character is just insane that like he's fucking scary in oh, yeah. this like hard, but I mean when it really comes down to it, I think Beth's is probably the the realist. Yeah, she react
0: the, she's definitely believable in the situations that she's put in. And I think with Tamara, he's such a lovable person that whenever he's not being complete fucking monster and he's being nice you're like oh it's tamara morrison and you're like oh my god he fucking like <laughs> oh my god and it's it's like that the whole movie uh and i think that creates an inter- interesting dynamic for his character and then also tells an interesting story with that uh, relationship through that yep um
1: yeah absolutely He. uh well i had jake the Mus. Yep. i went with jake the Mus, and okay. just just such a violent nature about him intimidating but he has that sweet side like you said TJ and um you know that's if he gets what he wants that's if he gets what he wants and it's funny when when he but but overall but basically he's just a piece of shit mm-hmm. i will say that mm-hmm. it's the role that really put tomorrow on the map and you know to come out balls of the wall playing this monstrous m- monstrous beast you know it's just an amazing thing to see unfold with a um, great great actor like this. Um, you know, Morrison definitely captures that essence and realism of the character. And he just chews up every scene he's in. I mean, you can't take your eyes off him every time he's graced across our screen. But it's um, you know, definitely crafted Jake as his own character. And I think it makes you kind of wonder, like, if Tamura Morrison was actually this Jake the Must, this is the shit we're saying it's like another side to tomorrow morrison like is this shit real like like i said he just captures that so that aesthetic so beautifully um but yeah like a honorable mention to beth Hecky absolutely fucking those two together you know when they're together and they're singing and shit it's fucking it's great acting
0: now you it's have fantastic. you have this connection to aquaman this unofficial connection right
1: so watching aquaman tomorrow morrison plays the dad in it and there's a scene near the start of the film where uh nicole kidman's Resting on his couch. And she wakes up and he comes in. And the first thing he well, I think it's the first thing he says to her, but he's it's a reference to Once and Worries and he's like, Would you like me to cook you some eggs? Mm. So mm. you know where I'm coming <laughs> out of that. Yeah. So mm. when, when I saw that, I'm like, James one, damn son, you like you're coming in strong with the Easter eggs right there.
0: <laughs> also on grace's Sorry. wall there's a uh, poster of edward furlong and then beth would go to work on the crow with edward
2: oh yeah yeah i, I loved her posters She had the uh she had what she had white men can't jump because it i yep. saw wesley snipes and woody harrelson and then fuck what was the other one she had one on her door
1: i think that was on her door white man can't jump
2: it was on the uh wall behind it like when you it it would have been covered by the door there was another one like on the inside of the door i can't remember what it was nonetheless
0: the production design was on point for this film
2: oh fuck yeah fantastic fantastic.
0: shout out shout out to michael cain not the one you're thinking of so uh yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) boys favorite set piece that fucking house is gross. The house is nasty. Yeah, Grace did a really good job of uh, cleaning it up after he threw it like a fucking tornado the night before, though. That,
0: that blood comes off pretty easily. It looks like
2: I, I guess Jesus. that she was even able to repair that uh, busted top window pane. Yep. Apparently, I don't know if that was a bit of continuity or not. But when I was watching it, Sean pointed that out because it was absolutely busted out whenever they left in the morning, and then whenever she comes back, or yeah, whenever she comes back and is sitting down at the end of the day, panels right back there just perfect condition i was like damn she even fixed the window that makeup's <laughs> on point though for beth mm. yeah that, yeah that, those prosthetics are fucking spot on it is hard to look at it
0: is and that's what like, makes it so effective
2: yeah just the beginning of that shot where she's laying on the bed and there's the still the blood on the side of the pillow and everything as well yeah and he's laying, it's so
1: uncomfortable like uh i'd have but, to go with uh mcclatchy's pub Okay. Jake's second home. Ah, you know? yes. The whole beaten and battered interior, you know, of that uh, pub looks industrial as fuck. It's just as gross as the fucking here. I like and,
0: how they uh, have metal chairs and tables because they're like they're gonna get thrown around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're gonna get
1: fucked up, and uh, they're obviously good fighting weapons, as you see it against Uncle Bully. You know? <laughs> um, you know what? What I what I like about those pub scenes is that you know you got Jake that drinks there he is definitely labeled as the alpha fucking male of mm-hmm. everyone in that pub and that mm-hmm. pub is huge so yeah you know um overall it's dark and grim and perfect for this film definitely Awesome setting. Yeah.
2: I think they made it out of a warehouse. Uh, Whenever I was looking at it, pretty much almost all the filming locations are just South Auckland. Uh, So it's like all steel mills and all that stuff just all around there. I think that was the reason why that pub is so grimy and everything is because they shot it in like an abandoned warehouse in South Auckland. That would be correct. Yes.
1: (laughs) absolutely it's not a real pub as much as i would like it to be so i can go over and <laughs> fucking go to mcclatchy's but yeah other than that nah
2: okay no uh, yeah. nick do you have a pick oh no i was gonna say also a uh a little honorable mention to i think it was the royal the second one that they stopped at uh, okay. on the yeah. uh, the road trip whenever he uh he left the family out in the car so he could bet on horses again have you um,
0: ever seen that much piss boys
2: <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting there i counted it out on screen there were 20 40s on that table and six pitchers of beer are on the outside. (laughs) Everybody loves Jay. (laughs) Why not? I'm a lovable chap.
1: And then I'll just go and destroy a fucking jukebox.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Smash the jukebox
0: and then my friend. <laughs> Favorite scene or shot? I can tell you shot right now. When they're in that fucking car and they and they pull out and stuff. That's fucking. I oh, I was like wow, that shot. But uh, I love those those bits of uh, the intro bit where you see Grace walking on the streets. I love how that looks. And then yeah. you see Tamara walking again in that same spot. And I just love the atmosphere that that creates oh. and the way that those are filmed. Yeah,
2: that was Beth at the beginning. Beth, that was Beth. That was like Beth. walking along that. Yes. Yeah, it was a barbed wire fence and everything along the uh, side of the road. Okay. Very Banana. industrial uh, looking. But I just mm-hmm. I just like how
1: those exterior shots are, are done. Absolutely, yeah. I I went with... um. <clears throat> the, the, now, the, to me, when I uh, think of Once a Warrior, this is the scene that sums up the the title of the film and that is when nig sticks up for beth towards the end of the film so when they rock up to the pub she's going off an uncle bully and then jake goes to the fighter then nig the older son he does steps the read and it blocks- thing yeah he's bit mm-hmm. but it's that yeah quick fucking like 10 seconds of them two just sort of s- staring at each other as a face-off and it's like a you know it's a little bit of a um i, th- I think at that stage you see jake also getting stuck into nick Basically, saying you're not a fucking man, man up, be this person that you're not. And then when that moment hits, Jake finally fucking realizes, like, oh fuck, like this, even though Mm -hmm. I could wreck my son, he's got balls to stand up to me and it's for a fucking valid reason. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like fucking powerful. I love that scene so much. Um, Yeah. And obviously, honorable mention for favorite scene Uncle Bully getting fucking owned (laughs) because he totally deserved it. If not
2: Absolutely really. demolished. Yeah, that was my favorite scene. I think overall was just the catharsis of that. Just bully getting the shit beat out of him, and then stabbed in the balls with a uh, broken beer
0: bottle <laughs> at Brutal. the very end of it too. My favorite scene yeah. has to be that final dialogue though, where, yeah. where she yeah. mentions the, the the film's title in it.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. That's yep. that's definitely a good Lots one. Lots of cool I think...
0: shots though. Great cinematographer.
2: Just... <laughs> so, the shots are amazing. My favorite's probably Grace's funeral. Just the the mm-hmm. wide shot from his. Coming down to everyone coming up, and then they got the chance going, and she's and uh, Rui is singing the uh, the morning song uh, and everything for it. That whole shot is just gorgeous. How about she offers that homeless kid a, a home and then leaves like two days later?
0: <laughs> All right, your problem now, kid. <laughs> okay. Like, anyway, mm-hmm. other than that part, uh, favorite effect. I think we already mentioned the prosthetics are just on point in this film. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. absolutely
0: just a, a that, lot of the makeup is just done extremely well to the point where it's believable and it and it makes you cringe and it's makes some scenes very difficult to watch yeah yeah
1: absolutely no i'd have to agree with that it's the not
2: swollen different- eye and then even just the makeup of covering the swollen eye with it still obviously being there under the makeup and everything it was just so well done um it wasn't really a lot of overly it, visual effects
1: lots of fake tattoos i was about to say yeah, yeah. The, the face tattoo was pretty cool the half half ice um. um i think i saw in an interview with him um it may
2: have actually been part of the uh, the making of document about he uh, talked about he couldn't take it off for the most part so like he would have to make sure he was sleeping on the side that it wasn't on for like days and so he was like i felt like i couldn't leave the character until we would finish the scenes where i needed it and they'd sit and have them clean it off and everything he was talking about he's like it's a very cleansing process when uh when makeup has to sit and rub your face for a half an hour with isopropyl alcohol until your skin's coming off <laughs> <laughs> hey gotta make it believable
0: And i think that this film uh definitely drives it home with the word believable it's <laughs> it's real <laughs> as hell yeah realism speaking of that thoughts on story boys
1: i fucking love this film it's like what uh tamora morrison said in our notes it's, it's just this is just one of many stories like this from around the world to- told from a different culture's perspective i've well, that's how I've always seen it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, definitely like we've just spoke about, captures realism and shit. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's much more than that, just on how this poor family can keep pushing forward with nothing on their side. like, And the struggle of family matters, you know, it's a morbid story. Um, and it's definitely hard to fucking watch. Um, and it just goes to show that the director crafted a masterpiece in storytelling, especially rep replicating it from the novel itself uh i find he did it justice um would have been happy with those other little scenes that nick was talking about earlier but yeah no overall i think the story's um crafted very well.
2: I'm saying in my opinion I think it's probably one of the more important movies we've talked about so far. Um especially like again earlier in the notes um with with Owen talking about how so many people all over the planet could relate to the story and were coming up to her afterwards for years and crying on her shoulder and like just how much it impacted everybody and I mean of course impact and takeaways um yeah moving into that but yeah I mean honestly yeah it's one of the best stories I think and I'm glad that they told it so unflinchingly like they did like no punches held at all
0: yeah I really love this story I like how it introduces you to this family shows you the dynamic of Beth and Jake and then from there from that discourse and their troubles in the relationship then they show you the lives of these other children and then from that you get various subplots that run throughout the course of the film in tandem with the main plot and then come to the ahead at the end because of a series of unfortunate events and I think that that's kind of what really allows this film to keep pace and it really allows you to stay invested because these characters are so believable they're so well written and I think the way that they all come together at the end is just so fucking awesome and it's so well done. I felt so much for the Grace character. I felt so much for the Nigg character. I think that this their stories alone are just phenomenal but just to have all of these characters come together and just to have one big struggle in unity is Just one hell of a story, and it's one that's gonna last a lifetime. And I think that, uh, it says online, a sleeper hit from 94. That's absolutely it. It's, mm-hmm. I never heard about it before this. And I man, I wish I would have, and all, all that to transition into our impact and takeaways. And I'd say uh, another film, this isn't, uh, well, th- this film affected me emotionally the same way the amusement park did where it elicited some sort mm-hmm. of reaction out of me. I uh, made you think about something, made you feel something. Uh, and I think that if a film does that, then it achieved its goal. The filmmaker did their job well, boys.
1: Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you any more on that. To elaborate a little bit, I'd just say it's a powerful film that everyone should watch. I remember watching it in high school, um, and it really makes you question yourself on certain actions presented across the screen. Definitely challenges to sit there as a viewer and watch these subject matters, obviously such as you know rape and violence unfold. The, and also, finally, the the Mary culture itself is definitely a strong culture, and it's presented throughout the film. And we see it that we see it more so in bed. As she becomes a leader by the end of the film, mm-hmm. and this warrior that we really fucking feel for, and I'm glad that they made this story more so about Beth. Like, yeah, give it to Beth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. By the end of the film,
2: yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, I do kind of like how the how the Maori culture plays into um, and just kind of goes with, with it, starting with Jake being the warrior, being the violent one, and then Beth having her own story of actually being the warrior to stand up to this piece of shit. Um, and just it, the, yeah, it, it's the same as and why I thought it was so important is uh, the fact that it, it makes you sit down and really look at things like rape and domestic violence and things like that These things are very real like, in today's modern society is, yeah this yeah. is real this happens here oh shit Uh, this is it's real this happens uh like you can't just look away from it you can't ignore it like how uh uh, the director said earlier you know we didn't want to drag their nose through it or anything but make it sit there and go yes you're gonna be uncomfortable while you watch this scene but it's it's real and you have to understand that this happens why doesn't beth just leave instantly here's why this is Fucking scary it is to be in a position like this and why you can't just up and fuck off. Like, and I just, I really like that it went through all of that. They still ended up so somewhat okay, at least better off than they were minus Grace in the end. But like, that's just the real sad truth about it. But it just plays it so well that you do still feel like the catharsis with Beth and Boogie and Nig and them all at the end. Um, And I can't remember his name, but her friend even as well getting pulled up out of it too, because he's just snorting stuff and huffing glue in a car under an overpass.
0: Yeah. And I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. If you're going to include the subject matter of things like rape and domestic violence, make it personal Purposeful and actually make it cohesive with the story and just don't include it. And we're looking at you, Last House, on the left. And it's yeah. just... Uh, some films completely use it just for shock factor and don't really elaborate on it more than that or really show the uh, the true traumatic repercussions of such an event. And I think this film, holy fuck, shows it spot on and in just in the most intensive
1: way. Boys, Absolutely. let's rate this. Brody, it's your pick. Go first. Uh, is there a, a tagline that you go to sell? Oh,
0: okay. So... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> this week's rating is Brutal Bar Brawls
1: out of five. Brody? Uh, look, uh, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I love this film so
0: much. Solid score. Slickless Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Uh, 4.4. i give it a 4.2. And That has an LCE score of 4.5. Point four out of five, four once were warriors from 1994. And we are happy to announce next episode, and it is 2020's The Stylist. We are super excited to talk about that film, and I'm excited to show you boys this film. I mm. call it like a modern maniac with feminist vibes, and I think you boys will truly enjoy it. Uh, there's some Jalo homages in the cinematography, and i just i love everything about it oh
1: yeah i'm looking forward I I, to it yeah i'm looking forward to it too because i think i was reading a uh like a bit of an interview with the director herself and she was saying it's a bit of a giallo um inspired texas chainsaw massacre vibes mm-hmm. going on throughout the. Th- so yeah i'm really interested to see how that plays out
0: yeah it's pretty it's downright brutal in a couple scenes and i'd have to say uh watching the short film which is available on youtube for free in tandem with this is a must it's a great double feature and it's a good little prequel and intro to our character that you really get to know well in the feature. I think Jill's a fantastic director, and it really shows in uh, her first feature here. But I think that's uh that's all we have for this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to your favorite podcast. And this is the
2: pod boss, TJ Bowser
1: signing off. This is your doppelganger Kangabanger, banger all the way from motherfucking down under saying, I'll catch you, motherfuckers, next week. Slickle Nicholas
2: signing off. I love all your lovely people. Oh my God. What the car
1: it is. What of the yuck. What a turn What a turn up the yuck. te I not oh, get the bow!
2: Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw what the fuck's one. that? That is a pig's giant balls. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's one for the blooper reel. <laughs> During the casting of... <laughs> Where's the mute button? <laughs> that is a pig's giant balls. <laughs>